is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the second episode of the season, of the third season of the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Joined with me again for the second week and hopefully more, Mr. Chris Dowhower is going to be here. We're going to be talking about all the fantasy players, fantasy free agents players that we didn't get to talk about in last week's episode, which you can always go back, check out, replay it on your favorite pod streaming app, or you can always go back onto it at Show at WWSRM, replay it on YouTube, social media, wherever you like to go. Make sure you check that out because we went through all of our fantasy analysis on the free agency impact to that point. Now we have more players that we're going to talk about in the first segment of today's show and we're going to start diving in to some draft talk finally. So I know you dynasty guys out there are going to really love that. We're finally going to get into our top six quarterbacks for this particular episode. We'll get into more, of course, in-depth NFL draft prospects, where we think their fantasy analysis is going to be, what we think their football career is going to be as we get closer and closer to the draft. Which, by the way, I want to start putting this out there now. We are going to be the hosts of the very first Belly Up Sports' MDs and BUFL's NFL draft coverage starting April 29th at 7.30. We're going to have a half-hour preview show and kick off the draft coverage. It's going to be 100% commercial-free streaming all throughout. We're going to have pick-by-pick betting analysis along with fantasy analysis and regular football analysis. A little bit of everything and we're going to have up to 50 guests between April 29th, the first round, and April 30th. We'll be covering the second and third round as well. We're very excited for that. Very much looking forward to it. But for now, we have today's episode, which is going to be jam-packed and great for you guys out there. We're really going to be helping you, not just with your dynasty leagues, but what to expect with these moves moving forward. First, first and foremost, Chris, how are you doing today? And welcome on to the show. I am super excited. This is my favorite time of the season for the most part. I love the offseason. We got the draft. We got free agency. We got some trades. Let's get into it. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the best time. This is why Dynasty has so much appeal, because this is the best time of the year. This is when you're making your transactions, your trades, along with as things happen in the NFL. I love redraft. Redraft fantasy football was my first love. That's how I got into the industry in the first place. But it's all in season when you're this time of the year, when you're nuts like Chris and I, which if you're watching this show, you probably are just as much as we are as part of MD Nation. You love this time of year because you want to make those transactions, build your team, be the true GM that you could possibly be. So that's why this show's expanded. We used to be more focused on redraft. Now we do both. We give your expectations in both areas. So that's why we're excited to get into this show today. Before I do, though, I want to let you guys know this first segment is going to be brought to you by Manscaped. The NFL draft season is upon us, and it's possible that you might have Trevor Lawrence's haircut in your pants. That's a problem. And that's why our partners at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on football. For all of my draft geeks out there, we have an exclusive 20% off promo code using BellyUpFantasy at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and 
free shipping. Their performance package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 Weed Whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. And some other liquid formulations like Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver to really help you guys out. So get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to help you guys out this NFL draft season. So, Chris, first and foremost, I think we would be doing a huge disservice to everybody if we did not at least talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. Now, obviously, it's not a free agent transaction and no trade has taken place, but this has heavy impacts. We went from, I mean, Deshaun Watson is going to be the story of the entire offseason now because we went from a situation where we were, you know, is he going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? What's the implications of if he's traded? What his, is his fantasy impact depending upon where he gets traded? And now we have this whole other off the field issue, which I mean, we're not lawyers. We're not going to dive into it too much. But what is the impact on his ability to be traded? Or does this help him being traded now with all these uh, accusations and these lawsuits coming out uh, over the past week? What do you think? I think it torpedoes any chances of him getting traded, to be honest. Um, you're looking at a, pl- a player who's going to be basically sitting in limbo waiting for what Roger Goodell basically decides. Um, let's not forget, it's not just based on what the accusations are. It's not just based on what the courts say. It's also based on what the NFL decides to have disciplinary actions. Um, if they decide to suspend him or they decide that they need one, you know, pending investigation, they're going to have him not play. There's a lot of things that might come into play if the other teams just frankly aren't going to give up assets especially the assets that were being talked about, you know, numerous number ones, Young's you know, franchise players, Christian McCaffrey from Carolina, possibly. Um, I just can't see the teams are going to be willing to give up those kinds of things, having so many unknowns in the situation. I think it basically ensures that Deshaun is, is a Texan this year. I, I completely disagree with you. I, you have a fair point in the sense of it torpedoes a lot of things, but I completely disagree with you. All the reports have been to this point that the teams that were interested in several of them are still interested in training for Deshaun Watson. And the reason, the biggest reason why I disagree with you is because now, now the, the big problem Houston had up until this point was the PR side of things where everybody was on Deshaun Watson's side. No one was on the Houston Texans organization side. And now you have the PR clout where all of a sudden mm, is the reputation of Deshaun Watson. Is he really a good guy? Is this the ammunition you need to be able to trade him without completely and utterly destroying the Houston fan base who just lost J.J. Watt this offseason? I think that was a big reason why they didn't necessarily want to trade Deshaun Watson before. They're worried about that Houston fan base. I think now you have the PR battle back at least enough in your favor where you can make that trade and not essentially have a fan base uprising on your hands. From everything I have heard to this point is that no team has been dissuaded you have a good point where it's you're not just waiting on the lawsuits and what's going to come of that. You're waiting on what does Roger Goodell decide to enact. I don't think we're not going to know that anytime soon. We know how the NFL works. We may not know anything this year, given how the NFL works, depending on what happens with these lawsuits. So that is a good point there. But I completely disagree that this torpedoes his chances to be traded in any kind of capacity. I just think it's an I- interesting story to watch on the flip side. I just wanted to add, I understand what you're saying, but where is that PR going to be in the other markets? Take Carolina, for example, which is a rumored team that's supposed to be interested. Carolina's had to deal with a situation where they were being accused of having their owner be racist and he's forced to sell the team. Do you think they're really going to deal with the PR that's going to come 
was trading for Deshaun Watson with 16 accusations against him. I think if the fan bases of cleared, these teams, I think different story. I think the fan bases of these teams don't care because when they get the trade for Deshaun Watson, they're thinking about Super Bowl. And I, I think that's a big reason why I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a big reason why these teams haven't cooled, who are interested on him or have not cooled on the idea of trading for him based on the off-the-field issues that are taking place now. Now, look, this is all going to have to get played out over the next few months. I think what it does do is it guarantees no move happens before the NFL draft. I think it's going to take at least a month to get some more clarity on exactly what's what's going on here. So I, I think while they think there was a chance that something happened before the NFL draft, I think nothing will definitely happen until the NFL draft now. I think the timeline did get pushed out a little bit. There's going to be a lot to dissect here. But like I said, I wanted to kick off the show that way because I think we'd be doing disservice. Now, let's, let's take it from the fantasy standpoint. Uh, if you're a dynasty owner, what do you do with Deshaun Watson? Are you trying to trade him to a team who still wants him or are you not? And and I'll, I'll just give you my take. It's very, very simple. Uh, no, if you have Deshaun Watson in Dynasty, you're not trading him because right now you would not be getting the value you would have a month ago. Uh, you're not going to get the same value back because everybody's going to be looking at you like your point. You point out with Roger Dell exactly what's going to happen, how many games he's going to play, how is this whole thing going to play out. I'm not trying to trade him away. I'm not necessarily trying to trade for him right now either unless it's for a very low package unless i can buy him on the cheap because again you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the nfl side of things from a redraft perspective we'll know more if he's playing it doesn't change my opinion on him from a redraft perspective he's still a top six quarterback regardless whether he's with houston or not he's still a top six quarterback as long as he's out there on the field that's something we won't have to know or worry about until august though give me your take on what this does to sean watson's value I mean, I think that to your point, you don't trade them. Um, you kind of wait. You have to wait it out. If you, if your league has an IR spot, hopefully you can stash them there. In the meantime, if there is some kind of suspension or something along those lines, if not, um, to your point, I think that you have to kind of ride it out. Regardless of what happens, unless he is found guilty of all these cases, he'll more than likely continue to play football. So you're pretty much going to hope that he said 25, 26-year-old man, um, even if he lose out in a year per se if you're doing a long-term dynasty league then you want to make sure that you're still holding on to him because he's still got incredible value he just he just got locked up long term so he's not going anywhere necessarily anytime soon and you definitely want to have the option to go back to Deshaun Watson when he does play football yeah and to be clear again there's been no criminal charges these are all lawsuits so as far as any kind of potential jail or prison time that's not on the table here uh, is to simply be, does he get suspended from the NFL as a result to these cases? So that's what's going on with Deshaun Watson. Let's stay with the Houston Texans because they did more things that confuse me from a fantasy standpoint that I don't I don't understand. So we, were, we talked about last week, we, we mentioned David Johnson, the fact they signed Mark Ingram and that you're not going to touch the Houston Texans backfield for a number of reasons. One, is Watson still going to be there? But two, what's the split going to be between David Johnson and Mark Ingram? Then they turn around and it was it was a few surprise moves, really, because they turn around, and they sign Philip Lindsay now to a one year deal as well to just you know throw him in the mix. But what the other thing that was going was surprising was that Denver went from we're definitely going to put a tender on you to suddenly you know what go to the open market. We're not going to put a tender on you at all whatsoever. Uh, I was surprised by that as well. So we'll talk about what this means for Denver side of things, what as of right now. But let's let's focus in on Houston. 
David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, they're all on one-year deals. Well, I think David Johnson technically with his restructuring is a two-year deal now, I think technically. But they're basically all on one-year deals. <laughs> what what are you taking out of this backfield? I know David Cully is from the Ravens, but I guess maybe the signing of Tyrod Taylor, maybe their maybe their thought is gonna be a baby version of that. I, I, I'm not touching I'm the redraft league, I'm not even touching it. But from a dynasty standpoint, maybe Philip Lindsay's a future here. I mean, you look at this team and you talked about the coach. I think this is more about the GM. One of the teams that usually annoys fantasy owners from year to year in the backfield is the New England Patriots. Well, guess what? We got a GM from New England. And here we go with three different running backs with different styles. And more than likely, it's going to be frustration from week to week because the third thing you didn't add, besides all the questions on Houston, was that awful, awful offensive line. So <laughs> yeah, we don't right. even know how productive all these guys are going to be regardless. Um, I personally feel like you have to just hope somebody gets hurt. I mean, unfortunately, or you're looking for somebody to get cut because otherwise, if this is going to, they're going to the, the season with, there's no clear role for anybody. It'll be pretty much a hot hand. It seems like, and we only know what kind of play calling we're going to see. So no. I, I have no idea. I would not touch just like, I don't touch the Patriots backfield unless it's, you know, a waiver wire pickup or I have to, or somebody got injured. Same thing with this Houston backfield. I thought David Johnson might be somebody at least could look at, but now with the Philip Lindsay signing, you have a guy who's basically could be playing on first and second downs with Mark Ingram playing on first and second downs. And David Johnson does not forget was in the primary pass catcher. Duke Johnson was last year. So I, I, I don't even know what to expect. I mean, they probably draft a running back as we're looking at it right now. <laughs> they probably would. Now that you mentioned And that. by the way, is Bill O'Brien still, still running the team somewhere? It's, it like sure as hell seems moves. like it, doesn't it? It really, really sure seems like it somehow, or at least, but you know what? Bill O'Brien's from the Patriot background. I mean, they brought in Patriot guys. The culture, and I think this is a big reason what Deshaun Watson, I think, had a problem with, is that the culture, and really, for all intents and purposes, did not change. The line of thinking did not change. And I think that's why we're kind of seeing some of the similar moves. And it only works when you're in New England. It doesn't it, work anywhere else. And not just that. You got a question. They let go of all the receivers. I mean, who's going to play wide receiver? If you really wanted a chance to keep Deshaun Watson, Similar to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Yeah, you're Brandon Cooks. You just keep nobody. adding more, running more running backs. What's that do? Well, th that's why I go back to David Culley being part of the Ravens because to me, this just it screams that you. I guess you're playing on playing Raven football, yeah. even if it was Deshaun Watson back there. Your plan was one receiver and a run play action or RPO action, uh, run options. I, I mean, because I mean they signed Tyrod Taylor as well, so they're going to make yeah. sure you have a running quarterback. I mean. <laughs> I'm with you. I think this team is more about the GM than it is about the head coach. I think David Culley is a one-and-done coach, especially not just because the team's going to be bad, but just because he's somebody that I don't think anybody expected to get a job in the first place. I don't see this lasting too long with the the, the, the dumpster fire that is Houston and continues to be. Uh, but I, as we're looking at from a dynasty standpoint, I may take a flyer on a Philip Lindsay, to your point about the offensive line being terrible, I think he's the one running back who can find success compared to the other two behind a bad offensive line because of his quickness and his ability to make holes for himself based on that and make guys miss. But also, it's a one-year deal, and he's young. So even if this whole thing turns into a catastrophe, next year, Philip Lindsay could be in a, in a pretty viable role. Let's not forget, there's still a guy who had 2,000-yard rushing seasons, and he hasn't even been the lead guy. So I'm I'm okay with having Philip Lindsay on your team from a dynasty perspective. I'm not touching David Johnson with a ten foot pole, and I don't think there's any reason to own Mark Ingram 
maybe in redraft leagues, if he winds up with the goal line role, he's a plug and play fill in in a bye week. I don't, outside of that, I mean, this whole thing's a mess. I'd rather not touch it at all if you have the choices to do that. It's just insane what, what's been going on in Houston. It's insane from a fantasy standpoint. I can't believe they signed Philip Lindsay to an already puzzling situation in that backfield. We got more running back news to talk about and more on the positive side, more of a thing to be excited about when it comes to fantasy football. And that was Chris Carson going back to Seattle. And for me personally, I was so happy to see this for a main reason was after they made the trade with the Raiders to get Gabe Jackson. Now, all of a sudden, you actually have a run blocker, a girth guy, a guy who can cog the middle, a guy he can run behind up the middle, which is what Chris Carson's best at is using his power run, running between the tackles. Now you might actually get a push. You put Gabe Jackson, you put Dwayne Brown on the same side. You're going to have the entire left side of that line. He's going to be able to run through. And we've seen it in the past where if you just have that one guard and one tackle on one side of the line, even if the other side of your line is crap, just having that one side of the line anchored down Running backs, especially with Chris Carson's type of skill set, seem to do very well. They seem to find running lanes. They seem to go for over 4.5 yards per carry. And if their big thing is that they want to get back to running the ball, they give Chris Carson a two-year contract come back. I think Rashad Penny is a nothing. I think he's nothing at all whatsoever. I love this for Carson from a fantasy standpoint. He's very much going to be on my high-end RB2 Look out, and depending on his ADP, he's somebody I think that consistently falls through the cracks. I think you're going to be able to get him at a great value. And if you're in Dynasty League, this is the best thing that could happen for you if you're a Chris Carson owner, or if you're in a Dynasty startup, I even have Chris Carson jumping from what was a round six, round five type of area, depending on whether your league is super flex or not, jumping up into my third or fourth round because it's still a young guy who's now going to be featured at least for this season, next season, behind what could be a decent offensive line now after that trade. So I love this for Chris Carson. What were your thoughts on this move? I mean, I think it was a great move by Seattle. I think it it's going to pay off. It's going to be interesting to see how he transitions into the different kind of style offense that they're going to look like to run. Um, they brought in Sean Walton from the Rams, and he'll be more of a West Coast uh, system. I think that one of the things that Carson showed and what made fantasy fans happy last year was he caught the ball a lot. I don't yeah. see that really go away. Nope. Um, and I think that he he's the kind of running back, in my opinion, that can fit pretty much any system. He's got good vision. He hits the hole well. He has good cuts. So he's I think down runner. Yeah, and I think that whether whether or not he's in a, a West Coast more offense or a more power scheme, I think either way he's going to be successful. Um, the key for Chris Carson always has been, does he stay healthy? To me, that's the only thing that matters. Even if he splits time with Penny, he splits time with other running backs the last couple of years, Carson usually still eats. It's yeah. just whether or not he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, um, to your point, I think he could be a steal. Um, it's not somebody that I, I go too high on because I'm always the injury concerns because of his running style, but he is somebody that but quite often can have those blow up games for you. And if he does stay healthy when it gets cold, it's a great running back to have because you like those guys who can, you know, break tackles. Like you're talking to downhill runners and those kind of backs who are going to be the guys who are being featured as the season kind of unwind or as it winds down. I think the big key, you said it right there is that he's going to be, he showed last year he can catch the ball. He's going to be in a system that's more built for running backs catching the ball. And we saw last year, half-point PPR leaks, 167 fantasy points, finishes the RB17, and he didn't even have, he had only 681 yards on the ground, but he had nine total touchdowns between rushing and receiving, just being able to be involved in that part of the game. And again, like I said, I think Rashad Penny's a nothing. Even if they try to work him in, Chris Carson's not only the better back, he's also the better pass catcher. So Chris Carson's... 
Sure. I can't I can't wait to see DK Metcalf on some cutback blocks in that yeah. system. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a good point, too, because they are going to put some elements of the outside zone scheme list you would think they would and have a guy like DK Metcalf out there. Yeah, you're going to open up some holes there on the outside. You're going to really spring some runs. That's an excellent point. Let's move into somebody who has, hasn't signed yet. James Conner. Uh, and, and the reason I want to talk about somebody who hasn't signed yet is because he's one of the last big names out there. Where give give me two different ones. What is James Connor's best situation that he could land in? And what would be the worst situation? Or what's a situation you don't want to see him get into? Because I mean, I the worst situation we could see, hey, he go signs in Houston too, and then they got four running backs. So what was the situation you wouldn't want to see him in? Um the best situation. Until we hear what happens after with Leonard Fournette, I think Tampa Bay would be the best situation for him. He's a decent pass catcher. He runs well. That system, Bruce Arians is familiar with him. Um, I think that it's an easy transition to that offense. I think the place I wouldn't want to see him, um, that's a good question. I'd probably go with a team like the Broncos or some a team like that where I don't want to see him be a tandem back with somebody else. Um I'm getting a little tired of some of these guys not getting an opportunity to show their complete games because everybody's getting kind of pigeonholed. And I worry about like James Conner, if he gets paired with like Melvin Gordon or he gets paired up with a um, console with Drake with Jacobs. If he gets in a pairing like that kind of situation, I'd be super concerned for him. Um, another good situation that wouldn't be a bad pairing that, that kind of we're going to talk about a little bit, but I wouldn't think he'd be bad in Atlanta. That, I mean, that's, that's a fair point too. They just signed Mike Davis. We're going to talk about him in, in a minute. Um, that, that's a fair point. Mine would be the best situation I'd actually believe for James Conner would be to go to the Jets. I think he would fit that 49er style of system. He'll have the opportunity. They just signed Tevin Coleman. I'm not worried about that. They don't, he'll have the opportunity to be the lead guy there. One of the few situations where a, a decent running back could be the lead guy. So, Because this, to me, this is the last chance James Conner has to show that he can actually be a three-down bell cow back. If he doesn't go this year, it's not going to happen for him moving forward. And I do think James Conner's a lot better than what the industry out there really tends to think of him. I, I think I think he is. I think he's a guy who could do a little bit of everything. I'm not saying he's he's not a superstar. He's not a guy who's going to break a ton of big runs or anything like that. But he does everything very well, and I think he can show that if he's fed enough behind a team that actually can run the ball and has an, a, a somewhat of an offensive line. And I think the Jets would fit him well there. The place I don't want to see him go. I don't want to see him go to Arizona. I don't yeah. want to see him pair up with Chase Edmonds. I, yeah. I want I want Chase Edmonds to get his shot to eat, and I want James Conner to get his shot to eat. To your point, I don't want to see any more tandems. I wouldn't want to see him in Tampa Bay because even if Leonard Fournette doesn't go back there, it doesn't sound like Ronald Jones is going anywhere now. So I wouldn't even want to necessarily see him there. Uh, it, it's, let, me, let me throw one at you. How about sure. Buffalo? How about Buffalo? Well, I, what I'll say is that I don't think that's a realistic situation. I think their signing of Matt Breida today kind of shows that they are content with going into the season with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss leading the way, and they're just going to kind of do depth behind that. Um, and I think James Conner is a little too similar to a Devin Singletary and a Zach Moss, frankly, in my estimation, too. I don't think you get to be the lead, the lead lead guy. Last year, it didn't even look like they had an inclination to run the football anyway. They need to, but it didn't look like they had. So I, I actually wouldn't like him in Buffalo. He said that. He played in Pittsburgh. So. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, yeah, f- fair point. I just, there's there's a lot of situations out there, because I and I wanted to talk about James Conner, even though he hasn't signed yet, because there's a lot of dynasty startup drafts happening now, and you're kind of left with this situation where, like, where... Where do you value a guy like a James Conner who has been productive in the past, 
may have an opportunity to be productive. Where do you value a guy like that? And to me right now, it's hard to know until he signs. Obviously, I'm not drafting him before eighth, ninth round, maybe 10th round uh, in, in fans because you got to see where he goes. If you if you draft him any higher than that, you, you're rolling the dice on a very tricky situation. And honestly, my gut's telling me he winds up in a situation where he's in a tandem with somebody. Uh, unfortunately, I, just, I, just, I feel like that's probably more likely to happen at this point than than not. Um, I'm hoping he stays out. I'm hoping he waits for Leonard Fournette to sign first and then makes his move to a situation that's best for him. But we'll see what happens there. Let's talk about Mike Davis in Atlanta. Now, <laughs> I was in a startup dynasty draft when the news about Mike Davis broke. Now, granted, we were in about the 12th, 13th round there, so it wasn't crazy high or anything like that. But the second... The second that news broke, the guy who's picking was picked Mike Davis. And my thought was, why? Or do you really think for a second Mike Davis is going to be the lead guy? And even if he is, it's for half a season. I know he had a great year last year. And he, he really did. He had, you know, he was RB14 and he was never supposed to be the starter. He had a great year. He started to wither off towards the end of the season. People started realizing, hey, you know what? It's Mike Davis running the ball. Can we can we can we stop this guy? But the idea that Atlanta's not going to add somebody, and I don't know why that was even a thing for remotely a second, astounds me. Somebody else is going to be the lead guy. Mike Davis is not there to be the starter. He fits Arthur Smith fine. He's going to be a backup. That's what he is. Edo Smith, Brian Hill, these are guys who are not going to be the ones either. They're going to draft somebody. They're going to draft somebody. So don't tell me that Mike Davis suddenly has this fantasy value that we have to go out there and get because he's going to somehow be in this prominent role. He's past that point in his career. And just because he was able to get some injection into his life in Carolina to spell out Christian McCaffrey, that was never in the cards. It was never supposed to happen. And he's not getting a chance to be a lead back now. I mean, am I wrong? I think you can't even smell him out in a you know, dynasty league. Um, to your point, the best you're hoping for is half a season. Maybe he has a good season. He won't be the starter there next year. Having said that, in redraft leagues, I think that you can maybe take a flyer depending on how the situation does unfold. If he's competing with a Brian Hill or Edo Smith going into the season, then it's a whole different story. So it'll be really to see what Atlanta actually does or who they actually draft. Um, but for dynasty purposes, absolutely. I For dynasty, you're looking for somebody who has special talent that's going to be you know sustained for a period of time. This is a guy who has spurts of good games. He's had spurts in Seattle. He had spurts in Chicago. He had spurts in Carolina. Um, so that's why I said redraft, you might look at him, but you, you can't take him in a dynasty league, in my opinion, at all. It's Mike him. Davis. Don't get don't get your recency bias blinders on, and all of a sudden, they go, oh, maybe he's got a little bit more left in the tank. I see this with players all the time, where all of a sudden, these older players have been bouncing around. They have these this just great season out of nowhere. And all of a sudden everybody wants to ride those coattails going into next season. It never works the following year. So I'm not going to be touching him in redraft leagues. I'll, I'll say this to your point. Yeah. If it's Mike Davis and Edo Smith and Brian Hill, then maybe as a flyer, if you want to get through the beginning of the season with a flex play fine. Yeah. There might be some value there, but what I'm saying is there's no chance, no chance Mike Davis is the lead starting back in Atlanta. There's no chance they're not adding somebody, whether it be through free agency or the draft. No, no chance. So let's stop it with the Mike Davis love just because he had a nice little stint there for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, we talked about Matt Breida just kind of mentioning him that he signed, just in case you guys didn't know that. We can move into the wide receivers and talk about another guy that I think the best move 
for him was to go back to his former team, talking about T.Y. Hilton. The best move for him was to go back to the Colts. I think it was really the only place that he had a chance to be the number one receiver on the team again. And you're going back there with Carson Wentz, who doesn't have to close his eyes and pray to God that the ball gets there when he throws it deep. Uh, (laughs) I'm telling you, Philip Rivers, it looked like he was playing backyard jackpot when every time he tried to throw the ball past 30, 40 yards. Close my eyes and throw in an area and hope it goes down and where I want it to go. No, you have a Carson Wentz who can actually get you the ball down the field. So the the deep play, which T.Y. Hilton needs, is essential for him to have his fantasy value. It's a big reason why T.Y. Hilton was one of my biggest busts of the year going into the season last year. Was telling everybody he wasn't going to be very good because Philip Rivers can't throw the ball down the field. He needs that big play as part of his repertoire, as part of his fantasy value. He gets that back now. And what I saw last year when I'm watching the games and I watch them all because we have game pass, thank God. And when I go back and watch the tape on all of these games, the biggest thing I saw was that T.Y. Hilton's not done. He didn't strike me as a guy who lost a step. And this is saying as somebody who's never been a huge T.Y. Hilton fan, at least not from a fantasy perspective, because I always thought he's wildly inconsistent. But he didn't look like to me like he had lost much of a step. It looked like to me he had to adjust his game because his quarterback couldn't throw the ball down past 25 yards anymore what is your thoughts on ty hilton returning to the colts um i'm not over as excited as you seem to be i think i would like to have seen him go to a situation where kind of a, a fresh start um the team i honestly wanted to see him on was green bay i thought he'd be a perfect uh, on the opposite side of um adams and open up i think that his days of not as number one receiver are over i do think he has lost a step to a degree um I think T.Y. is still going to be serviceable fantasy-wise, but I think you saw the last couple of years, he's not he's not quite as explosive, and without the explosiveness, he's not that consistent. Um, so I do have a little bit of fear. I like Carson Wentz as a quarterback. I do think that'll help. We saw Carson and Deshaun be on the same page quite often, so he could do a lot of things similar to Deshaun does. Um, but I think Pittman's actually going to be the top receiver as the season progresses if they don't add somebody else as a tight end. I think the tight end's going to be heavily featured, continue to be heavily featured in offense. Um, we saw Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. He loved throws tight ends. I like T.Y. signing. I mean, it's not a bad move, but it wasn't something I was super excited about for fantasy or for the NFL. Uh, see, I, I was excited about it because I think it helps Carson Wentz because he makes sure he has a deep threat to go along with. I agree with you from a target perspective. If it's not from the start of the season, at some point during the season, Michael Pittman will probably be the number one targeted guy. I think Paris Campbell as the slot guy helps too because if you have him at the slot, that means T.Y. Hilton can stay on the outside, which I think he's more suited to do. Uh, like I said, my big, I'm not touting T.Y. Hilton. I'm not coming in here saying suddenly this makes T.Y. Hilton a wide receiver too. But I do think it makes him a wide receiver three. I do think it makes him that consistent wide receiver three flex starter on a week-to-week basis. And a guy in a situation that now that he can get his big play back can be back to that guy who might win you some weeks. Again, he's wildly inconsistent. And this is all about a guy that from an ADP standpoint, because he finished last year at wide receiver 40, I think you're going to be able to get him at a value. I think he's going to be a value to your lineup with where you're going to probably be able to draft him. And that's why I was kind of more excited. I get excited about guys I think you can get at value. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that I'm probably going to wind up talking about. We'll see what happens to tight end position. I agree with you, the targets and everything like that. But T.Y. Hilton's not a guy who needs a ton of targets. He just needs that big play to be there. And it will be there this season. So I was happy to see this move for him, for Carson Wentz, for the Colts offense in general. Another guy I want to talk about that has not signed is Antonio Brown. And this kind of been a little bit of a curious case. The the last thing I heard on Antonio Brown from anybody was two weeks ago. And the thought process there was that he was definitely engaged with Tampa Bay in talks to come back 
It hasn't actually happened yet. I'm still under the idea that he goes back to Tampa Bay. Antonio Brown, for me, because he was the most targeted receiver down the stretch, I think kind of gets overlooked. I think there's a real chance that Tampa Bay offense can play more to what they were at the end of the season rather than the inconsistency they were at the beginning of the year, which means I think Evans, Godwin, Brown can all eat. But I think Evans, Evans is more safe because of the touchdown that he clearly has, the red zone chemistry he clearly has with Tom Brady. Because once, once they got inside the 20, I mean, it was, I'm looking at Evans first every single time before he checked off to anybody else. So I think you're safe there. I think the question is, Tony O'Brown, he goes back to Tampa Bay. What happens with the target share there between him and what should be, hopefully be, a healthy Chris Godwin? And is there anywhere else that you would rather see him go? I mean, I think if he goes back to Tampa Bay, it definitely affects Godwin. Um, Tom Brady historically likes to throw to his slot receivers. And I feel like Antonio Brown's at that point in his career where he pretty much is a slot receiver. So if he comes back, I think you're going to see Godwin on the outside much more. Um, and I think that while he'll still have his big games, you're going to see, especially PPR purposes, you're going to see Antonio Brown be that, that key guy who's getting those seven, eight-yard catches over and over and over again. Brady loves to have that guy across the middle and that is his is go-to safety valve. Um, I think Mike Evans is definitely the top of the food chain. I think that's his Randy Moss, per se, in a way. I think they weren't even close to being on the same page last year, and we still saw, to your point, see Mike Evans just being targeted like crazy in the red zone. I think that's going to actually get better throughout between the 20s moving forward. So I do worry about Chris Godwin if they are to bring back Antonio Brown because you still have O.J. Howard there. You still have coming back. You still have Kronk there. Um, it looks like they're going to try to add a pass-catching running back. I think that's a lot of mouths to feed. Now, where I'd like to see Antonio Brown end up, I think he'd be nice to see Tampa Bay. I'm all about running it back. I'm a, I was a Chicago Bulls fan back in the day, so one more year, I'm always about bringing it back, <laughs> running back Bay one more time. Um, but I think where I'd like to see Antonio Brown be would be a team like um, – I thought the Indianapolis actually was we're talking about T.Y. Hilton. I thought Antonio Brown would fit well there. I think they need somebody that Carson Wentz can kind of rely on and look forward to have that safety blanket. I think Paris Campbell is a speedy, quick guy. I don't know if he's necessarily there where you're a guy that you're looking for in that third and seven catch. I think they're kind of missing that veteran leadership in that in that receiving core. And that's somewhere I kind of would have, would have liked to see him maybe wind up. Um, now they brought T.Y. back. I'm not really sure where I think the best fit for Antonio is. But I think that even a team that you might consider would be Kansas City. Um, they got to replace Watkins. We're not really sure what's going to happen there. And I'm not a Robinson fan, and I think Antonio Brown could easily become that safety blanket for Patrick Mahomes, although he does check the ball down, as some people say. <laughs> I think Kansas City is the, the the top answer to have as far as what his best place for him to wind up is. That's and I do point. think I do think it's real, yeah, exactly. And I do think it's realistic. I do think oh, it's yeah, a realistic absolutely. situation because if he's talking about going back to Tampa Bay, then he's not he's not getting big time money. And you know, you had Kansas City who wanted to bring back Sammy Watkins. They they talked to guys like Corey Davis. They talked to guys like Kenny Galladay. So they still have some money they're able to swing around. So it's definitely, I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility. And yeah, that would be the best situation for for, for anybody. And how this off season is trending, you might see him wind up in Arizona. They're going for the all over thirty yeah. receiver core. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good point as well. Uh, yeah. Again, I'm. I have to. I have. To, I'm still going to lean on the side of I believe he goes back to Tampa Bay before I believe he goes anywhere else, just because of where we've been left off with with where his talks have been and what he's been and, and what him and Tom Brady's relationship seems to be. Um, 
I would go as far as to say that I don't know, especially in redraft. Dynasty is different purpose. Dynasty, I have no problem having Chris Godwin because even if he's not a Buccaneer next year, let's say he's going to be good somewhere, no matter what. And even if he is a Buccaneer next year, uh, Antonio Brown will probably only be there for one more season, I would imagine. So I, I'm good with it, fine, dynasty wise. But from a redraft perspective, I don't know that I touch Chris Godwin with a 10 foot pole, and I definitely will. Again, like we talked about, I, I get excited by guys who have value. Antonio Brown will have value because I'm going to make the argument that he's going to get targeted at just as much as, if not more, than a Chris Godwin based on how they played, based on the way Tom Brady completely trusts him playing in that slot receiver position. And the fact that him and Godwin have to be interchangeable, I think Antonio Brown's more suited to play on the outside. I think Chris Godwin needs to be a slot receiver in order for him to be as impactful as he possibly can be. So I think that goes back to that will really tear up his value. Antonio Brown, I think, would be somebody of a value with where he would probably be drafted at. I do want to move on and talk just real quickly about, we don't have to go into degree detail about this, but Deshaun Jackson signing with the Rams, just because I had mentioned on this show, and I think it might have been the Belly Up Fantasy Live show as well, that I would be very, very excited for Matthew Stafford if the Rams brought in a down-the-field threat wide receiver. Now, again, yes, you want to say Deshaun Jackson is going to stay healthy for two games and make fun of me. I'm not disagreeing with you on that, but the idea they recognized because I think that was more of my concern than anything. Sean McVay recognizing that they need a big play wide receiver. So now they signed to Sean Jackson. To me, that's signaling that you recognize that's something that's an element that you need in the offense. And whether it's just to Sean or they try to bring in another guy to kind of fill that role or have that element at the very least, I'm very excited for what it does for Matthew Stafford. And look, if Deshaun Jackson's on the field, am I going to look to play him in DFS at the very least? Maybe a streaming option? Yeah. Because he's going to be the guy who's going to take the top off. And you have Stafford who likes to throw the deep ball. And it's going to be a good offense in general. Um, so I think that has an impact, I believe, on Stafford as far as propelling what I'm already going to make the case for uh, his sleeper ability to be heading into next season. I mean, yeah, I love the I love the signing. I think there's, a, there's no lose situation for the Rams. Um, you add a receiver that can, like you said, take the top off, has explosiveness when he's healthy, when he does play. Um, I do have to go with the three games that he does play because that seems to be the problem for Deshaun. Well, yeah, I think during those issues, I think one thing that's kind of will be interesting for him um, will be like you're saying, is, is there going to be somebody else kind of waiting in the wings for them to kind of have to stretch the field? I think the Rams, if they play it smart, won't have him out there that often in the beginning of the season. And it might be a guy that you don't necessarily draft. You might kind of hold out on waiting for him or if you're going to, be prepared to just kind of ride it out in the beginning because I don't think he's going to be a guy that they're going to have a lot of, of snapped out there in the beginning. Because you, Primarily, if the Rams season goes how they want it to go, they want him for the playoffs more than anything. Um, and for those three games, four games, I wouldn't be surprised if Sean's kind of on a, 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 a Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George kind of, uh, you know, rest here, watch out, make sure keep you healthy for this playoff stretch. Because I don't, I don't think that he's going to be somebody that you can depend on for 17 games this year at all. No, not at all. Like I said, again, this is more of my excitement for Matthew Stafford and his sleeper potential uh, than anything I'm excited about as far as Deshaun Jackson and just kind of looking from that standpoint of, okay, Sean McVay is recognizing he needs a big play threat receiver. Uh, and that just kind of gives me hope moving into the season and things I like to look at. We'll start with another guy. Good. So overall, I think Sean McVay has done a great job of kind of recognizing some of his weaknesses. Last year, we saw him kind of remember he had to use the motion. This year, he's kind of realizing, I need a quarterback with an arm. I need to have playmakers that can stretch the field. 
Yeah, one one hundred percent, and that that makes me feel good about that. And when I look at that team from a fantasy standpoint, especially when I look at Cam Akers, I, I think there's a real chance Cam Akers is on the path of becoming a true next Todd uh-huh. Gurley. I had to bust um, your chops at some point about the Cam Akers. This is a man that hated hated on Cam Akers last year. Guys. No, that's false. Going in the draft. That's going no. In the draft. That's completely okay. that's completely false. I don't. Yeah, that's completely false. You can go. You can check back the tapes on this show. And then I talked up Cam Akers. What I warned people about was heading it for redraft leagues, not dynasty leagues. Dynasty leagues, I was all about them. Redraft leagues, I was warning people that because of his lack of ability to pass protect, he wasn't going to play right away. And this was a guy being drafted between the third and fifth round. When you're drafting a running back between the third and fifth round in redraft leagues, you're drafting a guy that you expect to be an RB2 coming into week one. And because I knew that he was not going to do that because of his inability to pass protect, you were not going to get him at value. You were getting destroyed on the ADP. And he was you're going he was basically going to bust where you were drafting him at because you didn't know exactly when he was going to get his shot to play. I never questioned his talent. I you can even go back to the scouting report on the can on when I did on Cam Akers last year on YouTube or wherever you want to check it out, the at LAF MDFF show. I loved his ability to run the ball. I thought he was explosive and I thought he could catch the ball. My big knock on him was that he did not have the pass protection skills and that he was not as good as the other three running backs that went in front of him. J.K. Dobbins, and I'm drawing a blank now, DeAndre Swift, and um, not, no, not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It was, I had another, uh, Jonathan Taylor. Cam Akers, I had ranked ahead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going into the draft process. So no, I was not a, a hater on Cam Akers. I was simply warning people, especially in redraft leagues, that they were drafting him way too high. I did the same thing with Jonathan Taylor, who was my number one rated running back. You were drafting him way too high. Now with him, Marlon Mack wound up getting hurt week one, so people actually panned out for. But it was the same idea. These rookie running backs who wind up in these situations that don't necessarily have, especially that's why I harp all the time. You're going to hear it when we go through this draft process. Why I harp all the time on running backs, rookie running backs who can and cannot pass protect, because that's going to be the big key as far as how early do you get to play? If you have that ability or not. And with these rookie running backs, while it's fine to hype them up in dynasty, there's been this industry push to hype them up in redraft leagues. And I'm like, look, you can't take these guys, like again, between the third and fifth round, if they're not going to play right away. If you don't know for sure they're going to play and start right away, you can't do it. And you usually can look at the pass protection skill set to know if they're actually going to get a shot to play right away or not, especially if they're going into a situation where there are other backs that you knew were going to be utilized. You knew Darren Henderson was going to get his chance. You knew Malcolm Brown, to some degree, was going to get utilized. He was entering into a three-man carousel. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor. So, no, I, you're completely wrong that I was a hater on him. I simply was warning people they were drafting him too high. But now, well, now it's a totally okay. different situation because Malcolm Brown's in Miami. And Darren Henderson had his opportunity and got hurt, wasn't really able to take advantage of it. But Cam Akers was clearly made himself, I am the best back towards the end. And his pass protection skills, while there still have some work to be done, did get at least adequate enough where you can put him in there on third downs without totally running the risk of getting your quarterback killed. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I wasn't talking about fantasy, so I apologize, MD Nation. He did he did let you guys know when it comes to fantasy where Cam Akers stood. I was talking more about your evaluation of Cam Akers in general. You question his vision. You question his ability to catch the ball. You question his pass protection, as you talked about. Um, and overall, you weren't that big of a fan. That's all I thought. Now, fantasy-wise, you're absolutely right. You were right on 100% on the ball. You try to, you always try to give people a heads up about watching out for the things when it comes to rookies. 
people quite often jump on the hype wagon because so-and-so is going to be the starter. Um, you want it snaps, you want third downs, you want receptions, and the guy has to be able to pass protect. So you're, you are right on the money with that situation. Yeah, no. I, and what you're saying, I didn't question his ability to catch the ball. I questioned his ability to be there on third downs because of the pass protection skills. As far as catching the ball, I, I definitely thought he was a natural receiver. I did question his vision a bit in Florida State because, and part of that could have been because that offensive line was so bad, he was just trying to do too much. But there was time and time again where he should have just stuck his foot up in the ground and went north and south, and he kept trying to bounce things outside that just was not there. And based on that tape, yes, I definitely questioned his vision in that sense. I don't question it now. Like the Rams, after what we saw, if you want to say I got to eat my words on that, 100%, fine. I'll eat my words on that one. But everything else, I think I was pretty much spot on when it came to Cam Akers in my evaluation and the fantasy process. So thank you very much. But anyway, I kid. The guy I want to talk about quickly, though, is Juju Smith-Schuster because there's one other guy after that that I want, we want to go into more detail about. Um, but Juju Smith-Schuster re-signing. Again, another guy re-signing with his team. This was disappointing to me. Um not just from a Schuster standpoint, but from a Steelers standpoint too, because I think you're 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 setting yourself up for another jumbled mess uh, from a fantasy standpoint as far as what receiver is going to be able to get what, and I think you're also setting yourself up with this idea that you're once again going to be this dink and dunk team uh, <laughs> with the signing re-signing of Juju Smith Schuster. Everyone's you know there are. Uh, I want to get this right. Because there's a lot of takes out there in the industry firing in a bunch of different directions. The one thing I want to put out there that this show, the MD Spanish Football Show for MD Nation, is going to set the record straight on is the idea that Ben Roethlisberger has a noodle arm and can't throw the ball past 10 yards. He, he didn't turn into Phillip Rivers. What you saw last year... And if you actually go back and watch the tape again, that's why I suggest everybody get Game Pass. Remind yourself, this is where recency bias really drives me nuts too. Remind yourself, what were the Steelers doing? What was Ben Roethlisberger doing in the beginning of the season? And then what happened after he hurt his knee? Because you got two different Ben Roethlisbergers there. It wasn't his arm went. He couldn't step into his throws anymore. Now that knee's healthy. I think his arm is just fine. Chase Claypool had no problem getting big plays earlier on in the season. They disappeared as the season wore on after he hurt his knee. Had no issue being able to do that. So this idea that Ben Roethlisberger turned into Philip Rivers because of what he did towards the end of the season is a misnomer. Don't fall for that narrative, MD Nation. Again, as I always like to say, let someone else make that mistake. He can definitely get the ball down the field as long as that knee is healthy. So I want to make sure the record is set on that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, the days of Big Ben having people hang on him and still throw the ball on the field are definitely over. Well, yeah. Having said that, having said that, I mean, to your point, he's 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 making the throws. The first eight games, Pittsburgh's on a roll. Their offense is starting to flow. And oh, by the way, they ran the ball. And then all of a sudden, they go shotgun, and they were basically a, a three and four yard dink and dunk offense after that because. They were trying to get rid of the ball quickly, so Ben didn't get any hits, and they were trying to not move him around because he couldn't move. So they had him in shotgun and pistol every play, and yet they weren't even running the ball at all. I think part of that was too because it was hard for him to actually hand off somewhat. So it was hard for him to turn. Exactly. So I think everything you kind of pointed out, you can actually watch from the game after he injured to the next couple games. It's no coincidence that Pittsburgh's offense completely changes and that Ben Roethlisberger completely changes. Now for Juju, does it change for him? I don't know. Um, I was extremely disappointed for everybody involved. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, you look at them, 
it's time for their young receivers to step up. You want to see Claypool. You want to see Deontay Johnson. You don't really need Juju anymore in that offense. Um, and then for Juju's purpose, I think since we see Antonio Brown kind of move on, we had that one year where we're, is he number one? Is he number two? So is he prominent anymore? I mean, the man was averaging, what, seven, eight yards a catch. Now, I understand the offense, like we talked about, changed, but he just doesn't look like he has any kind of explosiveness really left in him. I would like to have seen him try to get his career kind of back on track, um, so to speak. I don't know if this is the move for him because I don't see why Pittsburgh's going to actually feature him or use him that much. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there. He, this is what makes Juju Smith-Schuster a confusing case, though. As disappointing as last year was, half-point PPR leagues, still 179 fantasy points, still finishes wide receiver 20, still had 125 targets, still had 97 receptions. The big key was, and the reason why he was able to finish his wide receiver 20 was because of the nine touchdowns. That was the big key. And that was a, a big number for him, especially considering you know where he's been at in the past. And then that was also a lot of his touchdowns coming earlier on the season when the offense was actually playing better, but also before Chase Claypool started becoming a real thing. Uh, and all those things kind of play into... So that's why Juju Smith-Schuster becomes such a curious case, I think, for a lot of people. Now, I think Deontay Johnson's number one targeted receiver on that team. I think he's the better receiver. I will say Schuster gets to play the slot again, which is where he needs to be in order to be somewhat productive. I do believe Pittsburgh throws the ball a lot again. Whenever Ben Roethlisberger has been healthy, their volume, especially towards the end of his career, has been high. So the volume will be there, especially talking about from a half-point PPR league, enough so where you at least have to consider him to be a high-end wide receiver three. Now, I don't love the consistency of what we saw last year, but again, if Roethlisberger doesn't hurt his knee, then as much as Juju may not be the high-end wide receiver two that you drafted him to be, you know this year that you have to value him more as a low-end wide receiver two, wide receiver three. You will draft him more accordingly. And that's where I think ultimately I'm not going to get too bent out of shape at a Schuster. I'm not going out of my way. He's not going to have the ceiling of a lot of other guys out there that I'm probably going to be looking at in that range. But there's a floor there because of the volume that comes with Ben and the Steelers right now and his role in there. And I think ultimately that's why he signed a one-year deal because he recognized that and also an attempt to try to get paid next year. So it's all going to be about where his ADP winds up for me. There's a floor that comes with Juju Smith-Schuster, though, though, I believe. So I don't think he's totally fantasy useless, but he's frustrating because it's hard to evaluate him until you get closer to the season. Last guy that we're going to talk about as far as the free agency goes before we head into the next segment is Kenny Galladay. And I want to spend a little bit of time on, on this. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One, I, I think when this news first broke about Kenny Galladay signing with the New York Giants, I think everybody was so disappointed, especially in the fantasy industry, was so disappointed for him because you know that he's not going to get the extra boost in targets that you were hoping for. Daniel Jones is the quarterback, very sketchy at best as far as his quarterback skills go. You have going Jason Garrett, definitely not revered as one of the most creative offensive minds out there. So I think people are so disappointed, myself included, about Kenny Galladay from a fantasy standpoint going to the Giants that you kind of lost track of what the Giants have in place now. Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, those are three very good receivers. By the way, they all complement each other. Sterling Shepard gets to go back into the slot. Darius Slayton can be the big man play role on the other outside to Kenny Galladay. You have Evan Ingram still, 
Regardless, Kyle Rudolph's gonna they he did sign his deal, so he's okay. He's gonna you know be a blocker for them. But you have Evan Ingram who's gonna be there to stretch the seam. And we'll talk about something else too in, in a minute uh, on on Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, and something I've heard. It, it makes no sense to me. Um, and then you have Saquon Barkley. The question is gonna be, can that offensive line improve? But you do you do have some young talent on that offensive line that would suggest some sort of improvement. The thing where it all falls apart is Daniel Jones, and a lot of people are using that now. They're starting to look at the Giants like, well, does this mean Daniel Jones has to become fantasy relevant? I'm like, look, he's nothing more than he ever was, which is a DFS flyer. He's nothing else. He's nothing else outside of that. A a once in a while matchup dependent streamer. You're not drafting Daniel Jones in redraft leagues, and I'm not even trying to touch him that much in dynasty because honestly, I don't believe for one second that Daniel Jones, Jason Garrett, or David Gettleman are on this organization next next year. I don't believe for one second that's going to happen because now that you made this sign with Kenny Galladay, it's playoff or bust. And you know what? I don't think they make the postseason. I think Dallas is going to beat them out, and I think only one team from the NFC East is going to the postseason this year. So I think you're going to see all of them disappear. And you know what? From a fantasy standpoint, when it comes to Kenny Galladay, I hate it. I don't think he even gets 100 targets with Daniel Jones. And so you're going to have to reach a point where you better get Nine plus touchdowns. Otherwise, you're gonna. This is a guy who ADP wise, he's gonna be drafted as a mid level wide receiver too. I think he's a low end wide receiver too, high end wide receiver three. I put him in the same category as Juju Smith Schuster. That's where I have Kenny Galladay. Where do you think? I definitely don't agree with that. I cannot take Kenny Galladay as a wide receiver three. I think he's at least a receiver two and a borderline receiver one. I think he got paid a lot of money. And whether or not you hate Daniel Jones or not, I'm not a Daniel Jones fan at all. Most people know that. Um, but I think that he did throw 28 touchdowns his rookie year, and he did have some big numbers fantasy-wise. Um, he had a five-touchdown game. Um, I think Kenny Galladay is going to be featured predominantly on the offense. I think in the red zone, he'll continue to be utilized. I think as long as he's healthy, that Kenny Galladay is a receiver I definitely want on my team. Um, I think his talent will transcend a lot of things. I, I know Daniel Jones is the most accurate guy, but that's where having a six foot four guy can go up and get it. And making contested catches is going to be a benefit. Uh, you talk about all the playmakers on the Giants, about decent offensive line. You look at that division, that defense, those defenses aren't that good. Washington's defense is supposed to be really good. We'll see. Um, but the rest of the division doesn't scare me in any kind of way. I think the Giants have a, actually could be a, definitely a playoff contender um, in a pathetic division. Um, but I also think that you look at the offensive talent that can fall into place. There's a lot of teams that win despite their quarterbacks sometimes, and I think the Andrews has to be great for for Kenny Galladay to eat and for the offense to be, you know, humming. I'm not a Jason Garrett fan at all. I don't think he's creative, but I do think there's Brian eight under him. I do think the number one receiver typically got the ball, um, so I don't have. They didn't have any other weapons though. I don't. I'm not a big Sterling Shepard fan. Is he really better than Cole Beasley? Yes. That that's not. I, that, I don't see that. Yeah. Let me ask your perspective. I don't think Sterling Shepard's anything special. First time I got to use that alarm, actually, this show. I should have probably used it earlier when we were talking about Cam Akers. Uh, yes, Sterling Shepard is better than Cole Beasley as a as a slot receiver. Uh, Production-wise, uh, production I think they're both throw pretty good. But when Sterling Shepard gets to be a slot receiver, he's one of the best slot receivers in the league. You know, all you have to do is look at his production and see that. So, yeah, 100%, he's better than Cole Beasley. Uh, 
you want to talk about Darius Slayton is infinitely better than Terrence Williams. The only thing you can get me on is Jason Witten compared to Evan Ingram, but still Evan Ingram is a very good tight end in his own right. Uh, running back wise, Saquon is assuming he's healthy is just as much of a stud as Ezekiel Elliott or anybody else they had back there before then. So no, completely disagree. And Tony Romo is infinitely better quarterback than Daniel Jones could ever hope to be. So I completely disagree with you on every single level. Kenny Galladay is not going to get 100 targets in this offense. This is going to be a balanced approach because of Jason Garrett, especially if they have Saquon Barkley healthy, and he needs at least 100 targets to actually be a wide receiver too. You look at his numbers over the past couple of years, the two years that went really well for him. He had 119 targets and 116 targets. That was a pass-first offense where he was only splitting targets with Marvin Jones, still only saw 120 targets. Now, he doesn't need a lot. A, vo a volume in that sense to do his thing because he's a bigger play wide receiver and he's a guy you can throw to in the end zone. But he's only had one season with a very good quarterback where he got double-digit touchdowns. He's only had two seasons where he had over 1,000 yards. Don't tell me that Kenny Galladay is going to be this stud in this offense that's not it's, that's not led well with Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones at the helm. There's a lot of weapons who are going to have to eat. Saquon Barkley is going to get targets. Evan Ingram is going to get targets. Sterling Shepard is going to get targets. Darius Lee is going to be targets. Uh, Kenny yeah, Galladay Kenny mathematically is not looking at... That's the key. Then that's what I said the key was. Kenny Galladay has to score nine-plus touchdowns in order to be a mid-level wide receiver, too. Because even the year he scored 11 touchdowns, he was still only a wide receiver 13. There's two things to your point. Number one, they had Golden Tate a couple of years ago, so there was another receiver other than Marvin Jones that was involved in the offense. Um, the big part, Matthew not the, Stafford, year, not the year he had 11 touchdowns. Not the year he had 11 touchdowns. Is that the year that also Matthew Stafford played 11 games? Because there's other quarterbacks that throw the ball to Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay doesn't need a great quarterback to get the ball. I think that's the key to no, me. No, I, 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 he needs the targets. He needs the, the red zone. We kind of saw Mike Evans live off of just getting touchdowns last year. I think Kangalali won't be that bad. And Daniel Jones does push the ball down the field. Whether or not you like him or not, he's aggressive and he'll let it fly. So yes. I'll take my chance with Kenny Galladay with a 50-50 ball here and there because he'll throw quite a few of those up there. And I'll take my chances fantasy-wise, especially that he's going to come up and score some points for me. I don't think he's receiver three. I think that's preposterous. Re receiver two, maybe you could argue. I said low-end receiver one, but said, there's no way receiver three. You receiver the same thing as Juju Schuster. The by the end of the season, there's no way that's going to happen. No way. Low-end wide receiver two at most based on this offense, based on Daniel Jones as the quarterback, because it at the end of the day, the numbers have to add up, and the numbers don't add up for Kenny Galladay to be more than a low-end wide receiver, too, unless he rattles off 14, 15 touchdowns. I'll tell you That's some he, numbers to add up. Four years, 72 million, one year, 8 million. Who got paid and who didn't? Why? The same age. One's younger, actually, and still didn't get paid as much. I'm Why? not disagreeing I think Kenny Galladay, don't get this twisted. I, Kenny Galladay is infinitely more talented, but that's neither here nor there when it comes to the fantasy value heading into 2021. It does when you see the quarterbacks he's played with when Matthew Stafford wasn't healthy and he still produced. Juju Smith-Schuster had his worst season, still finished at wide receiver 20 last season. That's my point. But Pittsburgh Kenny, threw the ball 500 times. That's they're fine. not going to stop. Yeah. No, over 600 times. But that's not going to stop. That's not going to stop Why? there. The Giants throw it 550 times tops because of who their, who their offensive coordinator is. Look, I don't think... I think we kind of saw this thing... Well, Kelvin Benjamin was decent before he got fat and out of shape and he got locked out of the league. We saw this in Carolina. I'm not saying Kenny Galladay is going to be putting up the same numbers as Devontae Adams is. That's not my argument. But as for who puts up better between him and Juju Schuster, how far that gap is between a low-end receiver one and Juju Schuster, I think Kenny Galladay is way up 
higher. I think we've already seen other guys who can produce double the touchdowns. We see a guy who can get 1,000 yards, and he's not slow. He's not, not explosive. There's nothing really knocking him. You might not like Daniel Jones, but he still still throws the ball 64% in the completion percentage. He had a decent year the year before. Now, last year he stunk, but their team stunk in general last year. So I, I, I question whether or not he's not going to produce, and I do think he's going to have to be justified to pay him that money. I think he's definitely going to be utilized in their, play, in, their, in their offense week to week. He'll be the number one receiver, but there's a lot of weapons. It's Jason Garrett. It's Daniel Jones. And at the end of the day, the math does not add up. There's no chance he's going to be a low-end wide receiver one. Um, my point is, as far as the fantasy purposes go, the gap between Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster in 2021 is slim. Is very, very slim. There's not a huge gap there because of the situations that they are in. We got to go to break. Come back on the next segment. We'll talk about the NFL draft quarterback prospects. Maybe we'll see another more interesting arguments from us there. Everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We talked about in the first segment some of the free agency impacts continuing on. We're going to be talking about the NFL draft quarterbacks in this segment. The first segment went a little bit long, gracious to that Kenny Galladay argument at the end there. Mm. So we'll have to breeze through the six quarterbacks. But there's only six quarterbacks we're going to talk about because there's only six quarterbacks in this NFL draft class that we frankly think matter. Uh, as far as your future goes or dynasty re- fantasy football purposes, whatever you can case KB, because everybody else after that to say it nicely is a developmental quarterback. And you're here with your hosts, Dan Mater and Chris Dowhauer. I want to let you guys know that this segment is going to be brought to you by monkey knife fight and monkey knife fight is a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. Download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code belly up for a dollar dollar match on your deposit of up to $50 plus an additional $5. That's potentially an instant $55 free dollars for you to play with today using the promo code belly up when you sign up with monkey knife fight. Now, we want to talk about we when we have you know we do have the mailbag segment at the end. Uh, Ben's not if you guys haven't noticed, Ben, our intern, is not with us recording live, but he did pre-record those questions for us. And if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, or if you ever have a question in general fantasy purposes, you need help and you need Chris or I's advice or both, whatever the case may be, all you have to do is go to at BellyUpMDFF Show on social media, wherever it may be. We're available on a lot of different platforms out there. You can hit us up there, and we will get back to you and select a few to actually be on the mailbag. And we encourage you guys to comment throughout the show as well. We'll get to you as we can. So first and foremost, I think we need to start off with the fact that, yes, uh, we acknowledge Trevor Lawrence will be the first pick. Yes, we acknowledge that that is not a bad pick, and like everybody else does for, for, for Jacksonville and everything else. So as far as Trevor Lawrence goes, I want to tackle it more from this because in his situation, we actually know where he's going to go. We actually know what team he's going to wind up on. And my thing is that I actually believe Urban Meyer, in a weird way, while I have a lot of questions about the type of coach Urban Meyer is going to be in the NFL, I actually think this is a great opportunity for Trevor Lawrence to be coached under Urban Meyer. And the reason I think that is because there's actually some intangible questions I have about Trevor Lawrence and his development. I think he's got every single physical gift 
you could possibly want out of a quarterback. He's got the big arm. He's got the big size. He's very, very mobile. Uh, and the guy's been under pressure in the biggest spotlight throughout his collegiate career. And he's been a winner and he's beaten some of the best top end college teams out there. So he's played against the competition and all those things you would want at your quarterback. But there's things on tape that stick out to me. Uh, number one being that he's somebody who does not actually, for as mobile as he is, for athletic as he is, for as big of an arm that he has, he actually doesn't throw the ball on the run all that well. The biggest thing is that he has problem kind of squaring his shoulders before he does. It makes him kind of wildly inaccurate when he's on the run. And that's something I think you know, with his skill set, that repertoire, that, that needs to get cleaned up. And I think it will. The other thing is that I think there's tr there's a lot of times where he will try to force the ball in places where it doesn't need to go. I think he falls in love and has kind of that gunslinger mentality, falls in love with that arm strength of his a little too much, and instead of making a different read, decides to kind of force it in there. Those are the things that stick out to me. Those are the things that are going to be normal for rookie quarterbacks, I believe, to develop in, in general. These aren't big things. These aren't big knocks. But the, what plays to this is why I think Urban Meyer is a perfect coach for him. Because what did Urban Meyer do in Ohio State all those years? He played to his quarterback's strengths. And when he needed to keep things simple, he did it. I mean, what's the biggest thing about Ohio State quarterbacks going to the NFL? It's like they're way behind the curveball in the NFL because they make it very, very simple for what quarterbacks have to do in Ohio State. And they play their, again, like I said, they play their strengths, they hide those weaknesses, and they make things very, very simple where he's not going to be asked to do too many things, I think, especially in his rookie year. So I think Trevor Lawrence is in a real position to have a good fantasy impact because they actually do have weapons with DJ Chark. And they, I like the Marvin Jones signing. I like LaVisca Chanel in that offense. A guy like James Robinson. So I think he's put in a nice position to, from a redraft perspective, actually be a guy that I'm going to look at from a fantasy quarterback sleeper standpoint later on in drafts. And from a dynasty, why he's not just going to be the number one draft pick in NFL, but he's going to be your number one rookie draft picks as well. And I think Urban Meyer is the perfect coach for him to clean that up, especially from a fantasy standpoint, to keep him highly productive right off the bat. What do you think? I think, I think, I think that you're right about the, making the perfect fit. Um, I, I, my questions on Trevor Lawrence, are the anticipating throws. I don't think he throws with great anticipation. I question how great he reads defenses, but everything you kind of talk about Urban Meyer's offense, I think that all plays well for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, pretty much, my knock on him would be, I think he's relied too much on his physical traits and physical skills. But the offense that you're talking about that we're probably expecting to see in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer, with Daryl Bevel, is going to probably be an offense that does feature a lot of read option. You're going to see Trevor Lawrence be able to use his physical ability, skill set, be able to be productive. I think there'll be simple reads. Um, I think that we can see, I don't think you're going to see quite the, the rushing numbers you saw with Josh Allen, but I think you might see a combination of what Josh Allen kind of did with a combination of what Carson Wentz did his rookie year um, because you're going to see a team that is putting in the quarterback in position to succeed. I think that Carson Wentz's offense was really good for him when he was in Philadelphia's rookie year because it kept it, it was kept him moving, kept him, put him in position to be able to make easy throws so he relied on a running game. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be in the same situation. He's going to have one or two simple throws. They're going to use his physical, you know, tuck it down, run, make some easy things, move the chains. I think he has a quiet, um, maybe a top 15, top 12 finish because I think that you're looking at a guy, you know, usually don't expect too much from rookies, but this is a guy who's probably been one of the more consistent quarterbacks week in, week out with those legs and with those ability because Jacksonville's defense is probably going to be atrocious. So you're going to see some numbers I would expect. 
Oh, yeah, and I'll add to that point, the AFC South defenses aren't anything that great either. So he's going to be in shootouts and have the opportunity to be able to perform well within those shootouts as well. So that's the other things we like about Lawrence. So let's move in, and I believe, I don't want to speak for you on this one, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer. I believe we both have Zach Wilson as our number two quarterback. Not Justin Fields, not Trey Lance. I don't think Mac Jones is really on anybody's number two, uh, but we have Zach Wilson as our number two. And for me, I have Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then I have a gap before we get to the other three quarterbacks as far as what I think their ability is, what their talent level is. I think those two are the true franchise guys. I think the other guys can be franchise guys if they fall in the right situations and develop properly. But let's talk about Zach Wilson. He has all, again, this is a guy that has all the ability in the world. Great mobility. I think he has a very good arm. Got You have to love the fastest release in college football. But the other thing about him that I don't think has talked up enough, and some of it I think has to do with the fact that he played in BYU, so he didn't get to play against top-notch competition, so maybe people don't want to give him this credit or at least hand it to him necessarily. But to me, the guy throws it a very accurate ball, and he throws with a lot of anticipation. A lot of times he's throwing to his spot. He's not throwing it at the wide receiver. The only time on tape I saw Zach Wilson struggle was when he had pressure up the middle. If you were able to get pressure up the middle, there were times where he there were some throws he should have stepped into and didn't, and therefore his velocity comes off. He doesn't have the Trevor Lawrence arm where his if his feet aren't set, he can still launch it out there anyway. He doesn't he doesn't quite have that arm. That's but that's the only time I saw him struggle was when he had pressure up the middle. Otherwise, I didn't see anything that Zach Wilson couldn't do. He threw the ball outside the numbers with regularity. That is something kind of like the, the pass protection with running backs. A big bugaboo with me when we talk about rookie quarterbacks. Can you throw the ball outside the numbers with velocity and with accuracy? And do you actually choose to do it? Because that's another thing, too. Do you choose to try to be aggressive on the outside? Zach Wilson checks all those boxes. While I would love... Sewell to be drafted by the Jets with him and Beckton and having one of the top tackle duos. I think you can't not draft Zach Wilson at the number two because that's how good of a franchise quarterback he's going to believe. And from a fantasy and dynasty standpoint, again, going to have a floor with the legs, but I think he's something special through the air too. Zach Wilson could be a fantasy football dynamo. I, You talk about who's my number two. I still have an assessment. I still have my questions about Lawrence, and I haven't officially drawn my line in the sand yet to say I'm Wilson number one, but I got to be honest. I think Wilson's my favorite quarterback definitely in this draft. Um, I've been... I usually hit that when we disagree, but I'm not hitting that because we disagree. I'm just hitting that because the alarm has to go off because I believe, I believe you're the only person to put Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. So go ahead. That's why I had to hit that one. There was there's, there was rumors early on in the thing that there was some some different scouts, supposedly different personnel and teams that were more interested in Wilson and Lawrence. And I don't know what smokescreen that was, but there was talks about that. But my thing is, is you and I had similar feelings about quarterback class a couple of years ago with Mitchell Trubisky. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. You were a big Deshaun Watson fan. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. We clearly, we both thought the other quarterback were better than Trubisky, who we want number two. Um, but we basically ha- liked what we liked more so about each one. I look at Zach Wilson as a guy that he doesn't have quite the skill set that you see in Trevor Lawrence. He doesn't look quite the part. He's not 6'6". He doesn't, not 240. He does not run into 4-5. But the guy can ball. And there's a guy in Green Bay that reminds me a lot of this guy that can ball. His name is Aaron Rodgers. And one of the mm-hmm. big differences that might be... Oh, that a shot. 
And you're going, and then he, I think he might use his legs more than Aaron Rodgers does. I think that's going to be the key for fantasy for purposes, especially early in his career. You play him in the right offense. Um, you talk about him in the Jets. I would love to see him in a bootleg offense. You use his mobility and you give him simple reads. He's going to light people up. And that guy not only can doesn't have the the, the cannon of a Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have the quite the flick that Aaron Rodgers has, but he throws with great anticipation. He has good arm strength. And he can throw from every angle. To me. Being a great quarterback today is about what can you do when things fall apart. When you talk about pressure up the middle, we saw Patrick Mahomes kind of had his struggles in the Super Bowl, and he's one of the best there is. Absolutely. So I'm not so worried about that. I'm more. I think it's everybody's Achilles heel to get pressure up the middle, but everything else the man can do. Talk about the run on run, check. Talk about uh, ability to all the intangibles he kind of brings to the table, check. BYU team is not an overly talented team, and he pretty much helped his team become relevant the last couple of years because of his play. Um, he made a little bit of a jump like Joe Burrow did, which kind of caught people off guard. Like, is, he, is this a flash in the pan? Is this something we're really going to see for prolonged? But if you watch him play, you see a player who plays with incredible confidence, has a skill set that's definitely trans- transferable, and I think that any team that passes on him, besides maybe the Jacksonville, still to be debated, will definitely, definitely regret it. Love it. I, I love like it. it. I love it. Let's jump in because we're, we're getting low on time here, so I'm not going to rebuttal that. Let's jump into or who we have a third. My third is Mac Jones. I don't have Justin Fields third. I don't have Trey Lance Fields or Trey Lance Fields. Trey Lance and Justin Fields third. I have Mac Jones. And the reason for that is, is I don't see a huge difference between a Mac Jones and a Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow went number one last year. Both had a lot of talent around them. And the thing about like about Mac Jones, I uh, my comparison to him for his NFL is Matt Ryan, who also went number one in his draft class. Now I don't uh, Mac Jones is not going to happen because I have Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson ahead of Mac Jones, but it's the fact that this guy again throws the ball outside the numbers with consistency. He has succeeded at the highest level, so we have a lot of tape on him against top te- uh, top teams playing well in those situations. He's probably the most. I shouldn't say the most, but one of the most NFL-ready quarterbacks, especially more NFL-ready than a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance is, because he already does understand playbooks, understands offenses, NFL offenses, but prepared for NFL offenses playing under Nick Saban. He's He has the leg up when it comes to that. There's not a throw out there he can't make. Now, the only thing I'll say is he's not mobile, and I think kind of like Matt Ryan, that's why I kind of like my Matt Ryan comparison, there's going to be times where he's going to throw interceptions in bunches because he tries to fit things and he tries to be a little too aggressive at times. But I'd rather take a rookie who has the confidence to be aggressive heading into the NFL than one that I have to try to make aggressive when he comes to the NFL, which is kind of what I think about Trey Lance. And we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, so Mac Jones, to me, is a guy I think he can come in there. I don't think there's an offensive system out there besides you know Baltimore that he could not come in and run. Because he can make all the throws and be that guy. I think he is that franchise guy. And I love his tape. I know he had, like, again, I know he had a lot of talent around him, but this is a guy who can make every single throw. He throws anticipation, he makes the reads. You see him go from first, second to third reads on a pretty consistent basis. I don't knock Mac Jones on anything. Like I said, I think there's going to be times where he might throw a few interceptions. Outside of that, though, this guy is ready to play day one, which is the big reason why I put him over Justin Fields and Trey Lance because I don't believe they are ready to play day one. Now, would I like to see him in the right fit? Yeah, sure. Uh, do I think he fits with the Patriots? Like a lot of people would like him to go at 15? Yeah, but he's my number three quarterback. And from a fantasy standpoint, is a guy who could be 
a one of the better pocket passers like Matt Ryan has been a consistent fantasy producer for the next 10 years. Um, I, I echo those sentiments. Um, my difference would probably be fantasy purposes this year. I had definitely have Jones as my number three quarterback. I think that the difference would be if you're looking for production this year, a field or maybe a Lance, depending where he winds up with yeah. the legs and a running ability might have more of a higher ceiling this year or be more productive. But overall, as a prospect in the NFL transferable, I think Jones has all the skill sets that you're looking for. He does not have the cannon. Um, you talk about Matt Ryan is a good comp. I look at him like Kirk Cousins. Um, hopefully the Kirk Cousins, the good Kirk Cousins, not the bad Kirk Cousins. Um, <laughs> you you like he, that Kirk Cousins. Well, I think the Kirk, yeah, you like that Kirk Cousins, exactly. Yeah. Um, because I think Kirk Cousins in Washington, you saw a guy who was willing to push the ball down the field. And he showed that aggressiveness. And I think that's one thing that people seem not to understand when it comes to pushing the ball down the field. It's the willingness to do so. You don't need a bazooka to be able to throw the ball down the field. You need to actually do it. Um, and I think that when you look at statistically, Jones by far was one of the best leading um, big play quarterbacks there was out this year in college. He, I think he had the best percentage down the field of 20 yards or more and had the most big plays in, in the passing game of any of 20 yards or more. This is a guy that just, just had his talent around him in Alabama. Everybody kind of is like, oh, he's just, you know, victim of what Alabama has all around him. Jalen Hurts didn't throw for nearly the yards that he threw for in Alabama. Let's just remind ourselves of that. Um, this guy can ball. And his whole athlete thing is getting on my nerves. The NFL seems to change their mind every other year about who's going That's to be true. good because they can be an athlete, not an athlete. Two years ago, if you couldn't play in the pocket, then you, you, you couldn't play in the league. And all of a sudden, you'd be mobile and everybody's Lamar Jackson. Depending <laughs> on what your fit is, depending on what your skill set is, then I think the guys can transfer. Players can win no matter what kind of system they are in and what league they're playing in. It's depending on do you have the players to help them succeed. You put receivers and you put a decent line around Jones. Yeah, if you want to have him in a read option offense, of course he's not going to be successful. But it doesn't mean every quarterback has to be able to run that offense. In two years from now, we're going to go right back to pocket passers have to oh, be yeah. a thing and running quarterbacks can't read defenses and can't play in the other. It's, it's a two-year swing. RG3, cap, every, what happens every to them? Single time. Yeah, exactly. yeah, we'll have him again. It, it, it's a constant cycle with the NFL. I'm going to jump in the fact Justin Fields is my number four quarterback. I have him one spot ahead of Trey Lance, one spot behind Mac Jones. You kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit when you're talking about from a fantasy standpoint, because my thing on Justin Fields is very different from football to fantasy. From a fantasy standpoint, he's wherever he winds up going, when he does start, there's going to be a floor to his game because running the football is going to be a big aspect of what he does. So he's going to be a fantasy darling. He is somebody who I will value fantasy-wise. But from an NFL standpoint-wise, this is a guy to me I do not believe is in a position to play year one. Now, I want, I want to set the record straight. I'm not hating on Justin Fields. I think he does have an opportunity to be good. I think he has the arm strength to be good. I think he has what you want from the R talent overall. I think there was tape when you watched this year compared to 2019 where he was highly productive in the Ohio State offense, but there was there was tape that suggests that he was he has shown some development in his ability to read. It was it went from nothing to he was starting to get off at least to his second third read at times this past year. So there was some development there, but I still believe there's a long way to go when it comes to post read. The pre snap read, and I think that's the one thing Ohio State does with all their quarterbacks. Pre snap read, I think he knows where he wants to go with the football. 
But post-snap, if he starts to see something that he didn't see in the pre-snap, going from that one to two seems to definitely be a struggle. And then being able to throw the ball in anticipation, he throws the ball at the receiver. He doesn't lead the receiver. He doesn't throw to a spot. So you know, because of all those things, I think this is a guy that needs some development. I think he needs to sit for at least a year. If he sits for at least a year, I think he has a chance to be successful from, from an NFL standpoint. But again, wherever he goes, because of his rushing ability, and because he does have a nice deep middle ball, He's going to be pretty successful from a fantasy standpoint, but how successful he is from an NFL standpoint will go to his longevity. I do think that if he went to Carolina and they kept Teddy Bridgewater, I think that would be the best scenario for him to be in that offense with Matt Rule and what how they run that offense. I think that would be a great fit for him if that winds up being the case. And I'm seeing that more and more because more and more people have Carolina trading up either with Atlanta or with Miami to get in front of Atlanta to get Justin Fields. I do think that would be a great fit. He wouldn't play for we wouldn't play 2021 probably or at least not until halfway through the year. But for dynasty purposes, I would be more high on Justin Fields in that sense. So I have two different gaps when it comes to Justin Fields. Go ahead. Um I agree with your sentiment about Justin Fields. I think that he is an NFL prospect and, and a possible NFL starter. Um, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Tannehill. Um, his skill set, kind of what he did, what he did in college. Atlanta. Well, I mean, I I think Atlanta is be dumb to do that, pick him up for. But I understand. I do think he'd be successful in that kind of system, and especially with those receivers. You got you know Ridley and Julio Jones. You'll make a whole lot of reads. Um, but I do think. For him, he does need to be somewhere where the offense is definitely simplified. One of the things we saw with Ryan Tannehill, why he got better when he went to Tennessee, was just a coaching change. Um, they called a lot more play action. They used, they used a lot more single one or two check down reads for him where it wasn't so much he had a process and he could use his physical ability more so than he had to use his brain. Um, not to say that Ryan Tannehill couldn't process anything, but he wasn't a great, he's not great at reading defenses. But right. the, how they ran their offense was, we're going to take advantage of the fact that you throw a great ball behind, you can say the like 15 to 20 yard throw in that middle, which we saw AJ Brown eat off of. We see that deep because then the linebackers jump down, they can drop down, that's open. Yep. So Justin Fields can be successful in that kind of offense in that system. I think we're going to, I see his key for him is going to be where he winds up going. Um, I think if he hosts the right coach, he can be successful from year one. Overall, longevity wise, my problem with him is I think once you start taking that first read away, He's going to show us that he doesn't have a whole lot more to go to. Um, but I do think that you could might see a guy who kind of, I don't say it takes the league by storm, but is fairly productive. He wants up in the right situation as a rookie. I, I agree with that. Uh, quickly, we'll talk about Trey Lance. Trey Lance is a quarterback who cannot, I don't care where he goes, cannot start year one. He can't. There's not just making the, the, the extra jump from a low level school to the NFL, but first of all, for me, his, potential ceiling is a Dak Prescott. And while, you know, Dak Prescott's a star quarterback now and everything like that, he was still somebody who didn't get drafted until the third round. Uh, and, and he didn't have to start right away. And I think it's a big reason why Dak, Dak Prescott was successful was because he didn't have to start necessarily right away. Uh, but I think this guy's floor is, is a bust. If he has to start right away, he's going to be a bust. There's a reading defenses is he's worse off than Justin Fields is in that, in that department. And while he has the athletic ability, he doesn't look to run as much. From a fantasy standpoint, uh, he doesn't necessarily have the floor-ceiling ratio that I believe a Justin Fields does either. 
This is a guy who's going to have to come in and he's going to have to sit for at least a year. But I believe for Trey Lance, I believe he's two years. And this is why I have a big problem with him going in the first round. I don't believe quarterbacks who have a year to two year development process in front of them, like I believe Trey Lance does, belong in the first round. But he's going to go in the first round. That pretty much has been clear from the entire NFL at this point. Uh, what is your take on, on Trey Lance? We are up against the clock, so please make it quick. I think he shouldn't start year one, but I do think he could be productive fantasy-wise because he has those legs. He can have those games where he's going to have a good floor. Having said that, as an overall prospect, I don't understand the love. I think that you talked about guys, who quarterbacks that are aggressive or not aggressive, and you can't teach that. And he's not. Trey Lance does not show a guy any kind of aggressiveness. He has the arm talent, but his captain checked down, and his guy didn't have a lot of turnovers. People get excited about that because most of the time he's running the ball into the ground. No, I agree. He is captain checked out, and that's one of the things I, I worry about him. I'll, quit, I'll quickly mention Kyle Trask is our number six quarterback, and a, I don't know if he'll ever be a great, great starter, but this guy is somebody who definitely, I believe, is a serviceable NFL backup throughout his career. I think he'll get an opportunity to start at some point, um, and he's somebody, I think, who will be kind of interesting, but from a fantasy standpoint, I don't think there's a big ceiling there. Go ahead and give me your quick thoughts on Kyle Trask. I 100% agree. I think Trask is a, a guy who might get opportunity to start at some point, I don't know if he'll be a long-term starter, but I think he might get a chance to start at some point. But fantasy-wise, I just don't see the numbers or the production being there for him. He doesn't do anything special, and I don't think he's going to wind up in a great situation either. The mail's here. Okay, well, it is the mailbag segment. Now, Ben's not actually with us here presently, but he did take the time out to record a few questions from you guys, from MD Nation. Again, if you want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do, hit us up at Show on any social media platform. We'll help you out. We'll answer your question, and we'll also pick out a few to be on the mailbag segment. So our first question from Ben. All right, our first mailbag question is from John, and it is, should I trade Mike Evans and Chase Edmonds for David Montgomery in a 2022 second round, third pick in that second round? In the So it was Mike Evans and Chase Edmonds for David Montgomery in a 2022 third pick in the second round. Uh, no, John, you should not make that deal. whatsoever. I don't even know why you're thinking about making that deal. That third pick in the second round next year does not not make up the value for a Mike Evans because that's essentially what you're doing here. You're trying to upgrade from Chase Edmonds to David Montgomery, fine, but it does not make up the value for a Mike Evans. Yeah, and as long as Chase Edmonds doesn't have any competition really in, in the backfield right now, David Montgomery's got another partner in the backfield in Chicago. I would be super excited to pull that trigger. No, here, here's there that. is no Mike Evans is a beast in Fanny's football because of his touchdown scoring factor. And Chase Edmonds is a high end RB2, low end RB1 now that he is the official leader in that backfield with Kenyon Drake being gone in Oakland. And Dave Montgomery, sure, he had a good year last year, but he is in the Bears offense, which is probably going to be a disaster again. Um, and that 2022 third pick in the second round is probably going to be spent on the guy with the same value as Edmonds. So I don't think this trade is worth it for you. There you go. Ben, Ben breaking it down nicely for him as well. So no, John, Perfect. unanimous, do not make the deal. Here's question number two. The next question is from Kevin. And it's Jonathan Taylor and Juju Smith-Schuster or Dalvin Cook and Kennedy Galladay. Now, Kevin doesn't really specify this is an actual trade, but I'm assuming he's asking this as a trade. Uh, this kind of goes back to our argument a little bit earlier. Jonathan Taylor and Juju Smith-Schuster or Dalvin Cook and Kenny Galladay. 
if you're talking about this from a, from a dynasty standpoint, which I assume you are at this time of the year, I'm definitely on the side of I'd rather have Dalvin Cook and Kenny Galladay. I have issues with Jonathan Taylor because with Frank Reich, I don't think he's ever going to be the 20-plus monster that he should be. And then from a longevity standpoint, I am very much on Kenny Galladay over Juju Smith-Schuster. I just have some arguments with Chris about 2021. But from a longevity standpoint, it's definitely Galladay over Schuster. We know what Galladay's situation is going to be for the next Three to three to four years. We don't know what's going on with Schuster just yet. Go ahead, Chris. I mean, I 100 agree. I think you have to definitely go and stick with the Galladay. Um, Schuster, we just like you said, we just talked about. I don't see a long term fit for uh, Pittsburgh, and it's kind of hard to decide what his future is going to be. Galladay, he's got a four year deal. You know where he's going to be for the next four years. And then running back wise, I think it's no it's a no brainer. Dalvin Cook is by far one of the top scorers, and as long as they're running the Kubiak offense, it doesn't matter if it's junior or senior. I think that you're going to see that him be highly productive. Highly agree. Here's Ben's answer. Well, Dalvin Cook's probably one or two in fantasy football out of all the running backs. Um, and Kenny Galladay holds more value than Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, when healthy, he's a better receiver for sure. Uh, Juju's very inconsistent. And I think Kenny Galladay has wide receiver two, uh, wide receiver three potential, where Juju really sits in that wide receiver three uh, permanently with no real upside. Yeah, we'll take that. Nope, Ben. Wide receiver two, wide receiver three potential. All right, moving on, though. We can't get into that again. Third question, final question from Ben. The final question is from Jade, and it's Barkley and Godwin or A.J. Brown and C.E.H. Uh, and that was in a PPR league that we got him cut off there. So Barkley and Chris Godwin or A.J. Brown and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in a PPR league. I th- Ooh. This is kind of a tough one. I think we, if we're going from this from a dynasty standpoint, I think I have to lean to the AJ Brown, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, just because simply put, with Saquon Barkley a couple of years in, he's been injured. You can look at it one way where he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear. On the other hand, he's been getting injured without a lot of wear and tear. I worry about that. I worry about Godwin. We talk about we worry about him and his target values for 2021. Uh, you know, after that, maybe not so much. But then after that, who's the quarterback going to be? I can't assume it's going to be Tom Brady forever. And with A.J. Brown, I just know he's an up-and-coming stud. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, while I don't believe he's as valuable as a lot of other people do, at the same time, you're still going to be on an offense in Kansas City for the foreseeable future. You're always going to have a floor every single year. Uh, so while you might not be on anywhere near the same level of Saquon Barkley, I think the combination of A.J. Brown and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I would take over a Barkley and a Godwin uh, myself. Go ahead, Chris. I uh, that's that's a that's a super tough one. I it think is a that tough from, one. yeah. Um, I think you look at Saquon, and I think you he definitely has the more upside, particularly in the PPR league. I mean, we've already seen Saquon have over eighty receptions. Um, we haven't seen Clyde Edwards Hilaire be consistent used in the passing game. Um, Godwin, you talked about where he kind of sits in the food chain. I think regardless, he is a very talented running receiver, and he should be one of the amongst the best. I love AJ Brown. We do have questions about his volume from week to week. How much does he get targeted? Um, but is so that a I, question now with the with Tennessee? Well, he's clear cut the dog in Tennessee now. I think he is clear cut the dog. I think that he clear cut the dog last year. I just think that their offense is kind of. We'll see how happens the transition from Arthur Smith. But if they keep kind of the same kind of scheme, you just see an overall team that doesn't really pass the ball enough to always have a, a guy who's going to be getting 10, 12 targets a game. While Godwin might not get the same amount of targets that maybe a Brown does or an Evans might. He's probably going. Their team's going to throw the ball more than more than often than not, and you're going to probably going to have around the same amount of targets. Now the yards might be want to be a little bit different, but I think that's where Saquon kind of takes the cake for 
I, I think, for the other side, because I think over at George Hilaire, you're not going to have nearly the consistency that when you have a healthy Saquon out there. Um, Fantasy-wise, when Saquon's healthy, he's probably better with Christian McCaffrey when it comes to week in, week out, what you expect to get from the guy. No, I, I agree with all that. The, my more point would be here, Jade, is that if you're looking to make this trade because it is so close, it is so even, uh, usually when trades are this even, I don't bother making them. Uh, because you, it, it doesn't it doesn't really help you or hurt you in any kind of way. So I don't really bother making them. That's going to do it for our show today, guys. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back next week. And I believe next week we're probably going to be talking about all the running back uh, draft prospects. And, of course, if anything else happens in free agency, we'll, we'll add that in uh, as well. So we'll be back. We'll be in full draft swing, really, starting next week. We'll be on... Uh, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, like we always are at WWSRN. Make sure you download the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app on Android or iOS at 11 a.m. to 1230, like we are every single week. Hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Please subscribe to YouTube. And this show is always available to you after it airs live on your favorite pod app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to go. That's it for myself, Dan Mater, and Chris Dowhower. We'll see you guys next week. Everyone, have a wonderful weekend. CMD Nation.